Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon. And we are going to take a pivot here on the podcast, and I'll admit, mea culpa here on my end, I am clinically oriented as the medical director. I am not an operational kind of guy at heart, not where my skill set lies. So admittedly, at times, I probably slight Chief Shaw over here on the operational end here at MCHD, not purposefully, but at least on podcasts topics wise, uh, we're definitely heavy on the clinical side. But we've had some recent struggles here in the county that have led us to really consider, you know, that overlap that does exist. And I, I know in EMS, there's oftentimes this push that operations and clinical are two, two separate things, when in reality, that, that Venn diagram overlaps much, much more than we think on a daily basis. And here over the past couple months, and just a quick uh, timing aside, we are, we are recording this in July, and we have dealt with what most of you are dealing with across the country, and that's the, the hospital ED backlogs and ED holds and slow, slow, slow turnaround times, long wall times, all related you know, to the pandemic and recovering from the pandemic and nursing staffing shortages, which, you know, kills our kills our turnaround times. It keeps our crews stuck on the wall in the hospitals. And that's a that's a killer operational issue, you know, from our end here at MCHD, but it's also not not good for patient care. We want patient cares off you know, patients off our stretchers into the hands of the ED providers because that's that's at the bottom line, that's what that's what's best. So we have our uh, Chief of Operations here at MCHD, Jacob Shaw, joining us. Thanks, Jacob. Hey, guys. Thank you. And no slide at all. I think everyone <laughs> knows I prefer the shadows anyway. But we've drug, drug Jacob out of the shadows because operationally we wanted to share how we've approached some of our delays here in Montgomery County. And obviously there's some of the topics that we're going to hit on that are going to be Montgomery County specific for our MCHD listeners. But there are some concepts and some overarching themes here that really apply everywhere. And I know lots of folks that are smarter than me are approaching this differently and similarly and there's no one right answer but you know the big issue to overcome is is that that ed saturation talk about it a little bit dr dixon some of what we've seen here in the county sure and sort of detail wise how we've approached it and how we tried to overcome you know some yeah, of these delays yeah thanks casey i I would agree with you. I don't think it's just a Montgomery County problem or a Texas problem. I think it's uh, all over the country and, and likely all over the world now. You know, you had the perfect storm of the COVID-19 coming in in late 2019, early or 2020, essentially for the entire year. And what happened at the end of 2020, right? We all jumped up and did a high five, right? We had the vaccine. We were going to come out of this. We were all here, honestly, kind of jumping and going, all right, great how what we're in recovery mode guys what's our next thing let's get back on track with some of our clinical niches let's get our students back in let's you know train up some medics that have been have uh you know not been able to go to class and not been able to get on the truck and then what happened we had huge huge staffing shortages all over the healthcare system and it's i don't think it's i don't i don't think it's singularly focused on you know, running for the money over here or running for the money, although the economics are part of it, I think it's multifactorial. Okay, so I think that people had a really rough year 
and in many, many ways, healthcare providers assessed whether they needed to keep doing what they were doing. So we've had lots of, of attrition in, the, in all specialties of healthcare. It's put an incredible stress, not only on our department to provide 911 service, but also on our hospital partners that we rely on, as Casey said, to get us turned over in a timely manner. If you have trucks on the wall for 45 minutes, an hour, and sometimes we've heard horror stories, you know, 10 hours, uh, bringing a lunch, you know, there's a, a great, uh, I think it was a GEMS or a, a EMS World uh, piece with trucks in, in England, literally, you know, parked around the corner waiting to offload patients. And so we looked at that and said, okay, you know, what are the things that we can control here? Well, a lot of things in the hospital, you know, we meet with them regularly, but it's very difficult to control the internal capabilities and the ability, the resilience, I would call it, of different hospital systems. But what we can control is our behavior on how we react to that as a system. And so I'll pivot over to Chief Shaw to kind of introduce this concept of MedCom, which really came up, we were using it for something else, but it's this term of kind of centralizing expertise in, in one place to get overall system efficiency. Exactly. The origin of it is years in the making here at MCHD. It started during disaster times and we would staff high-level chief staff or physicians in the dispatch center and then high-level consults would go through there or they would determine destinations uh, remotely with a, with a whole system oversight or they might even initiate a paramedic or physician initiated treatment in place at home during those types of times. Once we started experiencing uh, systemic effects from the hospital long wall times. I think everything we do here starts with the question of how does it affect the patient, right? And when the operation takes such a hit, that's as easily identifiable as wall times at the hospital. We have to do something. So we looked into a lot of different things. We talked about staffing the hospitals with our own people to accept patients, uh, cots, lawn chairs, tents, all kinds of things, some sort of centralized triage location. None of them were very viable. And so we kind of leaned back on the MedCom concept. And instead of using the physicians or high-level chief staff and affecting every single aspect of, a, of an incident, we just started looking at kind of an air traffic control approach to where to send our units to within our system. We have kind of a pseudo Texas Medical Center North thing going on here with about seven primary transport destinations and then a handful of freestanding EDs. So we have a lot of options. We're very fortunate in that. And it made this possible. Uh, we developed a procedure called a, a hospital timeout that we use whenever we have certain triggers leading to the implementation of the procedure. So what we do here is whenever we have a truck that's been at any facility for greater than 90 minutes, it initiates a four-hour timeout for that facility. If we have three units of wall times for 45 minutes or greater, it initiates a four-hour timeout for that facility. And that's for all traffic of any kind, even activation criteria patients. And that's really meant to, to not be punitive on the systems, but to give them time to reset, to shuffle some resources around, and really to, to be able to recover and get back online is our hope uh, in the system. And that, that those triggers, although we use those as the guidelines, understand that the process is a little bit more complex than that, that a district chief from our service is actually going out well before that trigger is pulled we're, you know, meeting with the charge nurse. We're looking at the trucks and seeing, can we assist in some way? What can we do to help you guys, you know, offload these patients, get these trucks turned around and try to sort this problem out? But as Chief said, 
it's it's been pretty successful. It gives them, you know, the the theory behind it is to give them a break to allow some of the other uh, resources around to absorb these patients and and allow them to recover, come back online, be reassessed. They're reassessed every four hours on their ability to accept accept patients in a timely manner. So, Chief, when we're when we're talking about that, I don't think we can talk about that process. With you know, if I'm a listener, I'm thinking, okay, great, uh, Chief Shaw. What do I do with these patients? Then, what what did you guys do with them? Like, where do they go if they don't go here? Where do they go? Yeah, exactly. So, in the timeout procedure, we have three tiers built. Uh, tier one is just where a facility in an individual compartment might go on timeout, one or two facilities or so. At three facilities of our core group of hospitals, it activates a tier two system. And that's where we'll take one of our high-level providers, an on-duty chief staff. In the case of this guideline, they'll come to the dispatch center, sit down at a console have complete oversight of the system and what's going on. Then we have a 100% consult for transport destination at that point um, with the intent to load balance based on that person's you know, gestalt and understanding of what we have going on in the system. That works very well. It can be hard on the chief staff, especially the on-duty ones uh, in the moment. If it's late at night when this happens or if it's you know a time of you know a surge time whenever there's a high demand for the chiefs to be out on the streets as well. So what we did was implemented a one-week period, a seven-day period, where we ran MedCom just arbitrarily from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day with a captain or higher in our system, which is a captain or a district chief. These are people that have high-level operational and clinical experience and full support of the command staff to be able to have effect over the entire system in the moment. Whenever they came into the center and they ran this for the seven-day period, what we noticed was Obviously, it would be counterintuitive to send anyone to a facility that would trigger a timeout, but we obviously noticed a decrease in the timeout procedure being enacted. We had a palpable decrease in turnaround times. There were no apparent fallouts in patient care from choosing facilities versus our traditional customer service-based model of letting them choose their facility. Real quick before we in this discussion is this is for me I, I learn every time I go through this discussion because this is not again not where my skill set lies but just for the listeners out there you know we have Chief Saw said we have seven receiving hospitals plus another you know six or seven freestanding EDs so there's you know there's 15 or so plus or minus options for our medics within the county so if you're listening out there and you're in a you know, a single receiving center situation, this, this may not be as applicable to you, but if we have, you know, one of, one of our trauma centers, for example, that's, that's struggling, we have, you know, two other level twos. So that's some of the redirection that takes place because we're lucky in that we have all of these options. If you're, you know, interested in our normal times, our normal turnaround times are in that, you know, sort of 25 to 30 minute range you know, as far as wall times on a good day when hospitals are functioning and the system's functioning well, you know, and that's, that varies in that, you know, 20 minute range at the freestandings, you know, 30 minutes or so in, in the main EDs. So, you know, you can juxtapose that with the three trucks at 45 minutes, one truck at 90 minutes, you know, we're really getting into sort of, you know, several standard deviations from the, from the mean when we enact this. And, and I will echo what, what Dr. Dixon said, this, you know, I, I feel like when we call it timeout, I feel like I'm talking to, you know, my, my boys when they were five and seven that I'm putting them in timeout because they were being bad. Really, it's the opposite of that. You know, we're trying to give them an opportunity to decompress, trying to use all the resources appropriately within the county, because sometimes based on call volume, based on patient preference, you know, these things just sometimes it hits one hospital in, in an avalanche. And if we can try to redirect 
and, you know, prevent that avalanche and at least try to help the hospital shovel out a little bit, you know, it's going to be better for better for patient care, better for the hospitals, the nurses and the docs that are in there trying to trying to wade through the mess. And realistically, Chief Shaw can speak to this when we, you know, give our patients that overview of, hey, that, you know, we're in a you know, the county's in a stress situation right now. I know you want to go to X hospital, but why may be a better choice from a volume standpoint. Most folks are receptive to that, correct? They are. And I think the public now more than ever kind of understands the dire situation that healthcare finds themselves in, especially in the emergency front. Uh, and they seem to be understanding. And, you know, in some cases, we, we all understand what the bulk of our transports are like. In some cases, it may just decrease overall transport volume as well, which isn't necessarily a loss. And in the end, you know, there are situations, and this is why it's not just any medic that's at the console. These are our highest level operational and clinical performers within the system. I mean, a, a, a small group of, you know, high performing medics that we allow to have this oversight. Because if you had your hip replaced at Hospital Y and Hospital Y is on timeout, you still need to go to Y because it's post-operative care. And that, that in the end, trumps all, all of this, you know. Uh, surge management issues because that's best for continuity of care. So that's that's where, you know, within your individual system, you have to target medics who have, you know, uh, the skill set to sit down at the console in dispatch and see all the calls coming in, know from a 36,000 foot view what's going on at each individual hospital and what's best for each individual patient on those on those calls. And that's not, I, I don't want that task. That's not, that's not an easy task. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it, it goes, you know, we see it clinically, we see it operationally, right? In any well-functioning system, you cannot take the judgment of the individual medic, individual provider out of it that is in tune with the situation at that particular moment. You know, I can't, can't stress that enough. You know, I, Casey and I like to say here, I cannot write a rule uh, that covers every contingency on the planet. That's why we, we get trained uh, in this service and in this specialty to make good decisions. And when we don't make good decisions, we review them and get better. So that takes us to the results, Chief Shaw. Talk a little bit about turnaround time decrease, how much. I know we've talked about freestanding emergency department use on the podcast with Chief Crocker before, but it relates to this topic because some of those definitely have acted as a pop-off valve for some of our, you know, less acute patients. And then, you know, speak a little bit more to, you know, some of the customer service issues on the back end and what the hospitals think about this, what the patients think about it, you know, sort of the, okay, y'all did this. You decided this is how we're going to manage hospital surge. We're going to bring a chief or a captain into dispatch. We did it, you know, did it work? And, you know, what, what numbers have we looked at here within the system? What, you know, satisfaction metrics, what discussions with hospitals, how, how has this been received and how, how do you see that it, you know, may evolve even? Sure. Whenever we used this uh, for the week straight during that time, during that month, our average hospital time was about 38 minutes. Um, that's just, that's not weighted averages or anything like that. It's just the overall hospital transport average. The freestanding ED time was 23 minutes. So you can expect about a 15 minute difference in turnaround time by increasing the freestanding ED use whenever you do those. The hospital timeout, I mean, was almost non-existent, right? Obviously, we talked about the counterintuitive nature of sending someone to a hospital that would enact the timeout procedure just doesn't really jive well with what we were trying to do. So that was almost almost non-existent, which yeah, you ask about the perception of the hospital. It perceives well to them because they don't feel like they're being punished, even though that's not the intent. They don't 
uh, see a lack of our traffic. It's load balanced, so they get a smoother curve of patients that they can tolerate as their ability to intake and process patients is, is present, right? I think talking about the freestanding ED use, it over it was over double what our, our baseline is. We had a an early baseline. We provided some education, had a small spike. Then we experienced the, the big winter storm that swept the south, and we used the freestanding EDs a lot. After that, we enacted the MedCom week, um, had a significant, significant increase, I think 120 transports that week to freestanding EDs. With a baseline of probably 20 to 25. So just for the listeners out Correct. there, that, that week we spiked up about five times normal. We've sort of fallen back into a, a what probably is our about happy 40 medium. to 50, about double what we the, the beginning baseline. Two to three times. Yeah. What we what we were baseline, which maybe where we're just going to live with, you know, patterns and, and medic preference and patient preference. And, you know, fr- from a future direction standpoint, you know, I guess if their money were no issue and we didn't have to, you know, deal with labor costs and the division of normal tasks. Why don't we just have a, a chief or a captain in, in uh, dispatch at all times and, and run things this way until hospital turnaround times settle out and staffing shortages improve? So just, I guess, just for a quick overview for the listeners, we've done this before on here, but we have about 1,100 square miles here in Montgomery County, and we divide our county up into four quadrants. So there are four district chiefs on at all times. So when you take one of those district chiefs and you put them up in dispatch, you're now dividing that 1,100 miles in three. So how does that affect their workload as far as those that remain on the street versus those who go into dispatch? Is, has there, is there infighting there? Does anybody not want to go to dispatch? How, how have we dealt with that on a, on a day-to-day basis, Chief? Uh, typically, they're, I mean, they're high level enough, both clinically and operationally, that they can delegate the workload out amongst themselves. It doesn't mean that it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it comes without cost, right? Uh, fatigue is still a thing to those guys as well. And sometimes, if they're up running all day and then they go in to activate MedCom at say 2200, you know, they may be there for at least four hours, and, and it can come at a cost of that. While they're doing that, the other three don't have a lack of high acuity calls. They're responding to cardiac arrest, traumas, things like that, uh, high-level airway calls. And so it increases significantly the workload of all of the high-level chief staff that are on duty. So just relying on them during obvious times of need when we know we have a high surge week or something like that is not necessarily viable. But in a four-hour compartment, uh, they tend to handle it pretty well. How often are we using this, just for the listeners? Right now, not terribly often, maybe maybe once a month or so. The system has kind of relearned itself, and the timeout procedure is functional enough to almost keep itself out of a Tier 2 status most of the time. The crews, they have a really good situational awareness of what goes on in this county, uh, despite how large it is and how many options there are. And they've kind of learned what the system is capable of, and whenever certain triggers start to happen, like volume in certain areas or a hospital, a specific hospital having issues, they it's kind of become built in that they know how to adapt and as the systems themselves improve their workflows and recover from all of the things we've been dealing with and the crews and our system learns how to react to that uh, everything has begun to improve a lot on its own and j- just again to be to be clear and reiterate when chief saw says it's been used once a month twice a month on average he's referring to the the chief or captain in dispatch the tier 2 uh, portion of this of this uh, clinical guideline, and we will uh, post a copy of that in the show notes so you all can take a look. The, the timeout portion, the tier one, if you've got a 
truck longer than 90 or three longer than 45. I'm going to speak out of turn here, but I feel like that one's in action right now, unfortunately, daily. Certainly in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, almost on a daily basis. You know, it's just a perfect storm, Casey. Post-COVID, our numbers are back, rebounded past 2019s. So the, the, the crews are running harder, the turnaround times are longer, uh, and it's, it's very stressful on the oper- operational side of the system get these things turned around and make sure that we keep enough resources that when someone calls 911 that we're able to respond in a timely manner. So from a cost standpoint, if we're using a chief in dispatch or captain in dispatch once or twice a month, this is not terribly impactful to the entire system to labor costs of the budget, correct? No, it's not. Um, There are other costs that it probably circumvents, and so it could easily be seen as a wash. If not savings, really. If not savings, exactly. Getting people off the wall, for sure. Now, I think the big the big hitter in there that's the unseen one that you mentioned is the fatigue aspect of it for the acting chief in MedCom and those that are in the field. So that, I think that's where long-term, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where if you had to run this for days or weeks, you'd probably have to add an extra an extra person to, to load balance their, their workload to keep them from being overly fatigued, correct? Anything y'all want to add? That's probably at a pretty decent stopping point. I, I know that listeners out there probably have other things they're doing to to address this situation. This is one of those where this is really an open discussion, even though mm-hmm. we're going to release this as a podcast. But I'd love to hear from I- any other listeners out there, ideas, tweaks, edits, proofreading, you know, from listening to this. Hey, you know, we're doing this and this works great. You know, we are not at all opposed to, again, the the act of R&D or rip off and duplicate. So feel free to share. We're going to share our protocol with y'all. It'll be again in the show notes so you can take a look. Anything you want to add, Dr. Dixon? Yeah, I would love to collectively get everybody's ideas on on scaling this. And that's what we're, we actually have a meeting this afternoon regionally on, you know, it's not just a problem here in Montgomery County with our seven hospitals. We have seven and a half million people in the Gulf Coast region with probably close to a hundred different hospitals. And the sweet spot is how do we, how do we get one way or some way to communicate this data, i.e. How, how many trucks are at a facility, what the turnaround times are, so everybody has transparency and real-time information. So as a region, that's that's one of the that's the direction of, of where we want to go as a region to, to have that transparency and communication. Key word in that sentence that you just spoke, that's real time. That's the real uh, that's the that's the hard piece to to pin down that's that's the big fish to catch real real time not real time but real 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 time time. accurate current numbers not from four hours ago or four days ago how many nurses how many beds how many icu beds how many trucks are there currently at 1432 not 1032 because if you're acting on four hour old information it's inefficient if not wasteful so thanks chief child for joining us We're going to do a better job about not being so clinically focused here on the podcast. That's, again, my apology here. EMS and pre-hospital medicine is not strictly a clinical endeavor. The operational components matter, and they're important for patient outcomes and patient care. And this is one where we feel like, as medical directors, you know, this is really an elegant system that, you know, when you look at the protocol, you'll think, well, that's fairly simple and straightforward. And the number of edits and the number of discussions and the number of re-edits and revisions that went into this were I was peripherally a part of it. And it was uh, a lot of effort that went into making this usable, 
and digestible and easy to follow. So kudos to Chief Son and uh, the rest of the, the folks here in, in the horseshoe for putting this together. Thank you all, as always, for listening. If you have questions or concerns, please email us, podcast at mchd-tx.org. We love five-star reviews. I don't get sick of saying that. Please, even if you don't like us, leave us a five-star review. You wouldn't want to hurt our feelings, especially Dr. Dixon. He's a sensitive guy. So thanks for listening. As always, we'll talk to everybody again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.